0: Good day, dear listeners, Steve Reda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast, and today I have with me Dennis Funderheiden, the founder and CEO and head of global happiness at Convert.com. Convert helps you test all your ideas, whether you're a marketer looking for advanced targeting and rich reports, or a conversion rate optimization, CRO, expert looking for a robust platform. Welcome to the show,
1: Dennis. Thank you, Steve. Happy to be here.
0: Happy New Year. Well, we are well into the oh, new not year.
1: happy to be here. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. I think the only reason I I heard it this way because I I had a friend when I was a child and he he kept wishing Happy New Year in August, whenever we met. It it was his skirt. <laughs> and I thought, Wow, well, maybe he's not alone, but he is. He's still the only one. All right. Well, glad to have you here, and. I'm very curious about your your story. How did you start Convert? How how does one launch a software company? How does that even work?
1: I think the best launches, I think, are similar to how I started frustration and urgent need. So I was running a software business, uh, generating software leads for software companies. I had a lead generation site. And then there was a small crisis in 2008. People might remember vividly. And that kind of dried up all my leads at that time. uh, Investments were pretty much on hold for most people for the first six months of that, or the last six months of that year. I just moved to Mexico uh, with my little baby and the site couldn't fail, it was my only income, and I didn't look forward to... Uh, picking up Spanish as fast as that and work for somebody else. So the only thing I could imagine is like, well, if I have half the traffic, I need double the lead. So I don't know how that's called, but I just need to do a better job with what I have and we build a plugin for WordPress and that worked. we really personalized every page on the site depending, depending on the keywords that people use at that time. Now it's called personalization. That was twelve years ago. and the person that built that plug for fifty dollars eventually became uh, nearly a fifty percent shareholder of my company, a CTO
0: mm. So if I want if I have a website and it's not converting, then I just download your software and it starts converting. How, how does oh, that?
1: No, no no, no. The software doesn't really do anything. Uh, <laughs> so gar- garbage in garbage out in that sense. What it does is just to give a very simple idea of where people use it for, um, if you're a DHL and you're curious if that uh, man on your homepage should be a woman uh, fitting the culture where you're now launching, you might wanna change that and see if that's true for that particular country. And so you use our software or something similar, you change that image inside our tool, which launches on top of your site without people knowing, and then you measure both images at the same time and will tell you which one is the better one to pick.
0: So that's so the, the idea A- comes from B- the customer
1: testing. and as the, the tool does it, mm-hmm. fast to do the statistics and then the results and you can take and take that learning to the next question that you have in your business.
0: So it's basically, that's the what you call A-B testing. You have? Correct. Two options, and whichever works best, you keep that, and then you look for another test, and you keep testing. So, a typical site owner, how many AB tests do they have to run to get an efficient site? I know, I know that's a very general question, but magnitude-wise, is it like twenty um, tests? If, is it two thousand tests? What is it?
1: Just have an idea. At this moment, today, when you're listening to this, Amazon is running a thousand tests that day. Just to get an idea of the scale. wow! Booking.com similar, Etsy similar. You as a business in e-commerce might be running two or three or five or ten at a time. So magnitude of scale, that's kind of what we're talking about. Most big companies run thousands a year and smaller businesses, depending on your resources, because the software is not the expensive part, but it's, the idea generation, the research, the making of them, and the analyzing of them, and then incorporating those results back into your marketing or sales. So it's a it's a real niche with data scientists, with designers, with psychologists, all working on trying to understand what the person on the other side of the screen wanted and how they can help best getting there.
0: So uh, so, is this then does this become a function for a company to constantly come up with ideas to test, and then to test them and update the site? Is this like a full-time job, or is, does it depend on the size of the company? Let's say if if I run an e-commerce consulting company, or not consulting because it's not I'm not talking about the clients, but uh-huh. I, I run an e-commerce website where I, I maybe I, I'm a platform and maybe it's a smaller company, like 20 million sales revenue per annum, then Mm -hmm. what are the resources that I would have to dedicate to this in terms of human resource uh, and and the use of your software?
1: Normally a small team of three full-time people is a good start. So we're talking about a usability expert that does research and you take ideas from your call center, from your complaints, from, from tools that maybe analyze flows on the site so that person then comes up with hypothesis combined with somebody in the data science team like the analytics person that analyzes the analytics and then you can have like a project manager or a developer or a combination of those people so it's usually projects it's development usability and data science so it could be Mixed people. So usually a team of three is a good start. So you have some diversity. Uh, if you are a company like Microsoft, you may have 50, right? Or booking 80 or 100 people working on just that part. And they might be part of marketing. They may be parting sometimes of development. They might be in the business or BI circles or wherever they are. That's where they usually the play.
0: This is this is very fascinating. So, if if I'm a small business owner and I just have a website, maybe I'm a consultant, then is this something that I can use uh, this kind of service? Is there any way for me to take advantage of this idea of A/B testing, or your software would require a bigger operation?
1: I think you can benefit from the mindset. So that's important, like the testing mentality mindset. And I'll explain in a sec what I think that is you would need uh, the way we like to prefer to sell this as half a million visitors a month mm-hmm. and above because if you really want to go into the statistics half a million visitors you need to have a couple of hundred orders every month uh, preferably in the thousands to be able to get results statistically significant and mm-hmm. let's not go into that for this podcast because that's not the purpose, but. The experimentation mindset, I think, is really important. So if you don't have the traffic, most people have sort of an experimentation mindset. So you have to understand that if you don't do anything, you're also experimenting. With the concentrations you do, you just don't know the results. So measure certain things, measure conversion rates, measure Checkouts, measure abandonment of a checkout. All those things should be in your dashboard as a business owner. When you don't measure anything, you don't know what the outcome is. So you measure as a start, then you make a change, then you hope that something changes. And then you look at your dashboard and that works or it didn't work. So, sort of an experimentation mindset is really important. And if it didn't work, Theoretically, you should go back to the version that you had before, running of your business. Same as you do with a new salesperson. It works, it doesn't work, and then you go back to old by letting them go, giving them coaching or whatever. So an experimentation mindset is important, and I think it's super important that people understand that by not experimenting, you're still experimenting. You just don't know the results, which is flying blind. So that's why very large and very successful companies prefer to have the data so they learn from it each time.
0: Wow. So what does a a small company do before they have enough traffic to be statistically significant to get enough? Is it possible to have uh, some kind of a testing traffic which would get you over the hump to get to a point where you are getting some flow which then creates the you know, the, the volume enough yeah. traffic okay. but that work okay. so, from there. Is it possible? That's that's uh... so
1: it's impossible because statistics only work if you target the people that have the same composition. So mm-hmm. I have 10,000 people that are interested in my product, so they come to my website, and then I would buy 90,000 additional traffic that. I can show a kitty and saying get a free kitty here and they come to the site, I'm really disappointed. And they have done not the same intention, the same, and so they will skew the data. They're not the same kind of people. So the results should only tell you what your customers or your visitors prefer. Like, I don't care that it's statistically significant in that sense, just make your customer happy. And if you can't do statistics, go and talk to them more often, that's fine go and make a change and see what they say. Is the call center more busy because you did that? Is there more complaints or less complaints? Everything can be tested as long as you have some measurement. And then you take a period of time saying, I'm gonna make this change. I'm gonna make an offer of free shipping for one month. And I know my data from last year this month. I know my data from the last three months and I offer it for, for one month and I stop it, and I go and look at what I potentially learned, and then I go and continue that, stop it, or change to a new idea.
0: So so basically, we have to take maybe a step back. So if, if my website doesn't have enough traffic to be statistically significant for any kind of testing, maybe it's about how I generate traffic for the site. So before I can measure conversion, yes. I have to create traffic. Maybe first, maybe first
1: it is... Yeah, you can do things like short, short term marketing strategies is usually ads like buy ads gives you instant traffic, you just of course have to attract similar users with the same intent to your website. And so traffic that is bought from an ad probably converts different than the traffic that organically came to your site through referrals or something like that so conversion rates the percentage of the people that come to your site compared to the person to buy is different by the amount of traffic, uh, by the source of traffic you get.
0: So and if, I always yes, I,
1: suggest getting for more traffic first and then doing A-B testing later. Like it's not the first thing you do.
0: And then you uh, convert uh, your A-B testing process. It can only work on my own site, or let's say if I generate Facebook ads, I can use your system on Facebook to A-B test my ads, or I have to use Facebook's thing to do that
1: Facebook has indeed their own testing platform likely for testing the ads, so you can optimize your ads email Mm -hmm. software. Most businesses have a pretty decent email list already. That's great to test because if you, for example, just a simple test on the email list, usually people have a decent email list, just changing the title in whatever tool you use can be as simple as MailChimp or maybe it's very advanced, they all have A-B testing in built-in. So, just the title of your email can have a huge impact on the open rate. Mm-hmm. And so, changing the title of your email to experiment with, for example, what people think about you, what resonates with you. So, this month you send out two different emails, one has a very different title than the other. And if you learn that that new title you now thought of, could be turned into the headline of your website in the future because that apparently resonates more. You can play with different words that people maybe get some emotional sense about. And those words you can then reuse in your ads. And that's why experimentation for large companies is so useful because they test everything from a word change and then that word change will go to their ads. And then from the ads, you will go to a landing page that is different than their home page. And they then connect the ad to landing page with the same kind of language, the same imagery. So you're trying to understand, and this is what A-B testing is, you're not really trying to sell more, you're trying to understand the customer's mindset better. Mm-hmm. And so very early on of a company that has almost no traffic, it could be as simple as changing the... Title of the homepage. Like, what are we to you? What are we to you? I am an A B testing tool, maybe. I'm a conversion optimization tool, maybe. Maybe I'm a personalization tool to you. Whatever word resonates in the end will be like, "Hmm, I'll pick that one because apparently that's what they call me. And so you can actually use this kind of methods to get closer to the language and the thinking of your customer. And that's what you really want, because if you get there, you build that connection. And nobody's really interested in the first sale. We are interested in the permanent connection to you, to me, to my brand, so we can stay friends for a long time, and you think of me when you need that product.
0: Yeah, I love that. So basically, start with your email list, be at the email list, and then test emails, maybe 50 to, with this headline, 50 with the other headline, and then go from there. And, and every time there's something in your email and start to figure out what is resonating and then move it to exactly. the ads and move it to the Maybe ads.
1: take that to the ads. Yeah. You can take it to the website, you can take it to your ads. Ads, of course, is probably more expensive than your email list testing, but what you take from your email list, you take to your ads. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you figured out the repeatable motion, which is what businesses do, they find channels, to scale their business. So first is the email channel. You figured it out. You're like, okay, I think mm-hmm. I optimized my channel really well. Let me now get more traffic. I, I think I hit my what do we call local maximum. It's like the maximum I can get out of this uh, channel for now. Mm-hmm. Let me do ads. And you take your learning from your email to your ads, could be Google Ads, Facebook, or whatever platforms you want to give your money to. And then you optimize that with A B testing on that channel. And then you have enough traffic and you can then do an A-B testing tool on your site. Or if you have an app, you can test the app store messaging or the images on the e-commerce. As long as you think in the experimentation mindset, I'm good. You don't need to be a customer. Yeah,
0: I love that. I love that. This is very useful. So thank you. So let's uh, switch gears and let's talk a little bit about your philosophy of how you built this company and you talked about you know the our theme is always management blueprints what are the frameworks out there that entrepreneurs use and you talked about holacracy which is you know a framework that very few companies actually that mm-hmm. i talk to use so i'm really curious what is holacracy and why did you choose it okay
1: I think there's awesome Holacracy conversations on um, TED Talks, by the way, so for people that want to talk to the founders, and I'll give my interpretation the way we took it at Convert.com, because like a hierarchy, it has its flavors depending on the company it actually lands on. So why I picked Holacracy was connected to how I educate my kids. It's kind of a strange link, but I realized that my first daughter, now 15, got a more traditional education. Uh, she went to M- a Montessori school, and went to a more traditional school where you just get homework, and the teacher is a more offered author- authoritarian person that kind of decides how things run in that class. And that's how I used to run Convert as well, very similar. So I was in the philosophy of, um, I'd say the four-hour workweek book from Tim Ferriss was one of those inspirations where you would be making money in US dollars and you would outsource it to somewhere on the other side of the world and leverage that difference in currency, and you would get a lot of work for $1. And the only thing you needed to do, for according to that book, was make checklists and consider people on the other side of the world um, robots for your business in human robots they would just follow the checklist and they would do that work and that sounded really great and fairly easy so i considered myself a person that could make those checklists and that's how i started so i think we started off really wrong we started considering human resources as currently not available in AI. So we use humans for it, which is not a very human thing to do. Mm. At the same time, lots of people still do it, right? We consider sometimes human resources as not people, we call them. It's like human resources. You're just a person that if I had the chance would replace with a robot, but currently the technology is not up here, so I'll use you to do this checklist.
0: It's kind of commoditizing the human element.
1: Exactly. I think uh, everybody saw some clips of Charlie Chaplin's uh, videos on the Ford Motor industrialized complex. And I think that was what I thought would be a business. And that would be scaling. When I remarried, got another son, I was different. I thought it would be better to let my son explore the world because I've seen elements from my daughter that I didn't like. It's like, you don't have to really teach children how to walk. I can give you a checklist. I can give my son a check off if they could speak, but lots of stuff. Humans really don't need help from anybody. will learn it all by themselves if you give them the right environment and the realization was that i prefer that my son would go more on a journey of all discovery and i would present them with the environments that are conductive to that exploration so we didn't instantly put him in the school we just went to the jungle and i lived in mexico at that time and we brought him to parks and coordinated with other parents and we set up music classes. We just let them play US sand. And eventually I thought that we all fine. I think the realization was at one moment, I was treating my son of three years old better than an average employee. <laughs> with more respect and with more trust than I would trust somebody that I may have hired from Indonesia. And yeah, that felt really bad. It basically was like this is not the way i want to do this and i have a lot of learning to do and at what moment i mean we all watch those ted talks and you sometimes come back to the same ted talk and the same book and you read it again and all of a sudden it clicks like it's like oh, this is what i need now this is the time of my journey that this is helpful. And I saw that talk on Holacracy and from the company Holacracy One, and that resonated. And that went to the opposite direction completely. It basically says you should trust your employees because they sense the environment that they work in. And if they see a change necessary to express the purpose of that company connected to the customer, you should let them make that change and you should trust them. And therefore you don't really need management and then hierarchies and then in the end you decide. You can move a lot of the decision-making to the edges of of the company where the connection is with the customer. And so that's something I started exploring. And I very quickly realized I wouldn't be able to do that by myself because I am not a great person in management. I micromanage, I'm not also always the best person in communication. So I saw very quickly that the only way to get from here to that new utopia was for me not to lead that project. I was the problem this whole company is representing something I designed. So if I want to redesign something, I am the cause of that original problem. I cannot be the redesigner of it.
0: What does it look like for a company to run on Holacracy? What are the major principles of Holacracy?
1: So after I hired Morgan to help me transit, transition to this new idea, it basically, you download the constitution holacracy constitution like a country uh you can download it there's version 5 5.1 right now and you promise that you will run your company according to the constitution not according to your daily mood or the boss's hmm. back back channeling things
0: what, what are the major th- the
1: constitution th- said basically um there is a purpose of an organization and you cannot harm company's purpose and you're free to do whatever you want as long as you don't harm that purpose and then very quickly becomes clear so this is how you start you design a purpose like in a company maybe you say mission and vision right that's kind of the area but after that you let it completely go free Mm -hmm. like then you have 20 people and saying so what do i do now okay design the purpose for you Okay, what do I do? I'm in support. Okay, design how the purpose of the company can be expressed in your daily connection to the people. And so all these people start designing their own purpose. It's like, oh, it's my purpose to communicate as best as I can, helping the people as, as fast as I can, solving the problems that exist with our software or their implementation of it. And great, this is my purpose. It's like, great. Are you happy? Yeah. Okay, are there more people like you? Oh, yeah, I have three colleagues. Good. Now, free people own this purpose. Uh, okay, so it's not a job title? No, it's a purpose. Let's call that a role. And there's now free people doing the same thing. Oh yeah, but they also maintain that software. And the other ones don't? Great, that's a new role. Ah, and what that role does? Well, the purpose is to maintain the software so these free people can work. Ah, So that's a new role. And they only they in that role, I only do that? Yeah, sure, now you do two things. Now you own two roles. And then all the roles naturally lever um, move towards structure like people like structure and so you can see all these roles like a circle and then they all navigate so we are all doing support for for customers let's make that a circle and let's move the purpose of that circle to support our customers and then we give the circle a purpose now the holacracy constitution then says if you group together multiple roles that should be a lead link that decides on the resources mm-hmm. they decide on the priorities you can decide in your priorities in your role but if now there's a group then you need to have a lead link and a lead link has a secretary and a facilitator sorry the circle has a secretary and facilitator and a rep link and mm-hmm. so a circle then now starts existing with maybe 20 roles all grouped together self-organized And if they have conflicts, saying, oh, no, the support, but you also need to do the software. Yeah, tomorrow. No, you can't do it tomorrow because I have a new person starting in this role. I need this account to be ready. Oh, well, it's different priorities. Like, I disagree with that. I think the customer goes first. No, you should onboard us. And then a lead link would decide the priorities. It's like, no, I get you. But it's important to onboard a new person over the customer reply. So that's your new priority. Mm -hmm. And so this naturally starts shaping and then they become circles in circles and then priorities and high uh, like starts forming. So, for example, I am not the CEO, well, I'm paper, I am the CEO, but I am the lead link that manages five circles. I don't manage it, actually. I just define the priorities and resources. So I say, this is how much more budget you get in this circle. Do it as you please. You can hire everybody you want. You can outsource, you can hire agencies, you can hire team members, part-time, full-time, I don't care. Your mission is to achieve this this year with these kind of resources and that's it. They will self-organize in that circle. So,
0: so there's roles,
1: circles, and circles and circles. and things like
0: that. So do you have a leadership circle where basically the top coordination happens
1: yeah we have a, what we call convert main circle a cmc and in that circle there's the lead link of the company you can call that like the ceo and there is um people i have another role which is called outside world liaison i connect to board members i connect to the world if we have good news to share or bad news to take responsibility for, I am the outside world connection to that. There's then a strategic finance person that says, oh, this is how much profit I would like to reserve this year and I would like to spend so much, like strategic decisions are happening there. And then in that circle, the lead links are represented and the rep rep links, which are like union members. So the lead link is a person that takes the strategy from above, like a manager, and takes it to their circle to execute. But they're not the ones that receive the critical feedback because otherwise you turn into a manager that is blocking information from flowing up. So they're two different people. Mm-hmm. The rep link says, everything that we are frustrated about in the circle we will push back into a meeting called a tactical meeting, I am representing my circle as like a union member of all the roles that live in the circle back to the the next circle up. And then, for example, I hear those frustrations and then I change strategy and prioritization and I'll tell the lead link to do something. So not one person holds all that power because that's where usually that corruption happens. Like I am the blocker and the holder of information and that makes you powerful. And that power structure is what you try to remove in democracy. We're trying to bring equal votes, equal listening into the meeting structures. And so, a lead link has my trust to execute. So, in that sense, they are a person that I appoint. The rep link is a representation voted by the circle. You're now representing us for six months in the other circles.
0: So, so there's voting a... and the Does that make the process a little bit political? That let's say you have a lead link, the lead link feels there's certain changes are needed. And then the rep link basically transmits all the complaints of the members of the circle that don't like the change. And then basically the lead link gets second guessed at the leadership circle that uh, they made the wrong call. I mean, how do you, uh, how do you.
1: Okay. A lead link doesn't make changes like a lead link cannot change anything. They only have the power of the money and the priority, and that's it. The changes actually happen by vote. So uh, any change to a role, like what we call accountabilities and, and stuff like that, are done in public in governance meetings. So I want you, Steve, to now clean up the books behind you. I, it is my tension that it would look better for convert if the books were all color coded. I think that would, that's my tension. So I bring it to the circle. It's like it would be better that all the books were color coded because I think that would represent our purpose better. And in that, Meeting, you're there and other people are there as well it's like can you clarify why would that be hurting my purpose and then, and then in the end we either say yes or no in that circle people can actually completely block something if it harms a purpose if it harms the organization i could block it but if somebody says i think we're right we should all color code the books behind steve by the color coding that is set You now, if there's no objection, why this couldn't hurt, we just make that the new truth. And then you can have to accept that color coding is apparently the thing. Okay. Until you prove that it is harmful to us or it's very time consuming. You can do whatever, Steve, you have your own priorities. You're saying this is the lowest priority in my life. I'll take it as responsibility to always color code my books for interviews, but it's the lowest priority because i think audio quality is important and but i'll take it apparently we think that it's important and unless i think it's a problem i cannot really block it so there's voting and it's not there's not like the boss says i have to do something so everybody brings tensions all the time and the tension is we need to get better we want to get we want to be better than we were yesterday so we want okay. new processes and everybody comes up with these tensions and they file it. And then if reasonably acceptable, we just take them. Why not? That's why Holacracy works.
0: Awesome. So what would you say is the pros and the cons of Holacracy? If someone is considering uh, introducing Holacracy in their business, you know what should be on the two sides of the ledger? Uh, what are the pros and the cons?
1: Okay. If you are a company that is not yet super clear where you're gonna end up, so you don't have product market fit, you need to be agile and constantly changing, then the holacracy probably is not fit for you because you want to be more of a leader, call it dictator kind of, everybody to the left, you all have to do what I say, otherwise you get fired. So sometimes these things are needed very quickly. If you are running a more structured organization, where you sense that everybody has good ideas and you have a product that works and you just want to constantly make things better all the time and you understand that hopefully you're humble enough that you're probably not the smartest people in the room anymore then holacracy i think works because it gives everybody a voice Mm. not only the extroverts also the introverts because the Holacracy comes with a constitution, but also a meeting format for a governance meeting. It comes with a meeting format for tactical meetings. It comes with lots of training about how to do that, how to make changes in your company, how to make changes in roles. So it is an extremely structured approach to running your company. It gives you an immense amount of freedom as a leader to focus on strategy because the ship is basically sailing without you all the time and adjusting course it's like an auto navigator it Mm -hmm. senses a shock from the side it will steer a little bit to the right because all the people sense it they feel it and if i then say we all have to go 180 degrees that might take a little bit more time than a more traditional organization where you're saying we all have to go left now So it is only fitting, I think, for people that want participation of everybody that probably see that the people, I think the great resignation is probably a good fit for here. They want to own a purpose. They want to do something and have control over their own destiny. That kind of organization, I think is a good fit for Holacracy and It starts off a thinking that's no managers, and then so no structure, complete anarchy, but it's actually an extremely structured format, but that also limits you as a leader, just because you want holacracy, it means you also have to give up some things, there's no back channeling, there's no more like, okay, that's a good thing, you can squeeze that into your role, we don't have to tell anybody, but now you're also in charge of that. Just because we played gold this saturday yeah we played golf i like you a little bit more and so no everything is transparent every change you make is public like every change we, we have a kind of a it's called glass rock we have a system for a locker seat. every change you make goes public and then people can say whoa what you just changed that person is now in charge of that that's a big no-no because that will be uh, fraud prone that will be like is only one person in charge of that that will break and I vote against that so you vote and saying I bring that to meeting, I will not allow that to go through. I want to talk about that in a meeting like you can't just process it out and other things are like yeah it's a minor change if you wants to be the admin of slack I don't care uh, I don't vote and automatically my vote get accepted as a yes, but if I see something that I'm not liking, then I would instantly say whoa. I click one button and the process stops. And that's all transparent. Everything that changes in the company is always being pushed in our case to Slack. We see the messages saying, marketing changed the purpose. I'm like, what did it change? Oh, they just removed one word. Oh, I get that. That's fine. And everything is completely transparent all the way up to how toilets are cleaned and how strategic decisions are made. Everything is documented. And so I think that's a pro complete transparency and those things.
0: So if, if I'm an entrepreneur that I like to tinker with my business, then it's probably not for me because it re, uh, reduces my ability to tinker with the business. Or if I want to self ma- make the company self-managing so that I don't have to be as involved, would that be a good choice? So I guess these are two questions in one.
1: Yeah. If you want to, I, I can tinker with my business. I just have to do it transparently Mm -hmm. right i cannot just move power to people without telling everybody else i can appoint people to roles as many as i like i can remove people from roles as much as i like i have that power if i don't like the performance of somebody i will remove them from the role but since it's just one role it's not this entire ego or existence because every person in convert maybe have eight roles. I just remove you from that role because that role, you're not a good fit. You can still stay work at convert, you still make your same hours, just fill these five hours with something else. There's always other roles to do. So you disconnect as well that title from the person and the ego that comes with it. So I think that's really good, but it's as I said, it has to fit your style as a a leader. Like, do you want to move everybody and you want that power and you want that speed? And I think that's more a traditional approach, then go for it. And if you want to do something in a transparent way, involve people, give them the power to, to make choices and trust them to know better, then you pick holacracy.
0: Okay, it's so not it's kind of
1: very slow, but it's it's a different environment to work in.
0: So it's kind of a, a hyper empowerment tool for your business if you want to be super transparent and super empowering. Then holacracy is a way to do this, and of, of course the the price to play is more structure. It's less, you know, in the moment tinkering for the entrepreneur have to really commit to trusting your people that they will come up with the best answers over time and therefore empower them to uh, to grow your business if you are already figured out what you're all about so it's not like you've got the 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 message to market fit uh, you know that you are in a market where you can grow mm-hmm. you just have to fine tune it over time it's kind of a kaizen it's kind of continuous improvement then holacracy is an is a tool to harness your people for continuous improvement approach.
1: Yes, I think that's a really good summary.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, that's very exciting. I'm I'm glad we, we got to the bottom of it because holacracy mm-hmm. has been a bit been a bit of mystery. I, I read the book but still uh I wasn't sure how it worked. And I'm I don't I'm obviously no not an expert but uh got an inkling now. So if you would like to learn more about Holacracy, then what are the resources and, and how can people reach out to you or or check Convert's uh, Convert's offerings as well.
1: Yeah, I'll give some some links. It's potentially you can put in the show notes. So convert.com is the company uh, I started. Holacracy1.org is the site to explore if you're curious about holacracy. I recorded a video about how we structure Holacracy One inside Convert. I think it's like five to eight minutes, I'll send you that. So you can add it to the short notes. And if you want to connect to me, I think I live on LinkedIn. So it's Dennis at Convert for email. And if you use that to search me on uh, LinkedIn, you also find me.
0: OK, so Dennis van der Hayden, uh, the founder and CEO and head of Global Happiness at Convert. So thanks for coming and sharing with us the mysteries of Holacracy. And to to you, listener, if you enjoyed the conversation, uh, stay tuned next week for another show with another exciting entrepreneur. Have a great uh, week and thanks for coming, Dennis.